Hello and welcome to this Sea Trade Maritime podcast. I'm Chris Morley, Group Event Director for Sea Trade, and in this Sea Trade Maritime Masterclass episode, I had the pleasure of talking to acting CEO of Kuwait oil tanker company Ali Shahab. Ali shared an in-depth view of his 35 years experience in the maritime business. And what you'll hear over the course of this discussion is a lesson in passion, hard work and dedication. Ali is a true believer that experience, rolling up your sleeves and getting your hands dirty, in his case quite literally, is the recipe for a successful career in maritime. So let's take a listen to that discussion now. So Ali, thank you very much for being with me today and for being willing to share some of your experiences and your stories with our audience. I think perhaps let's kick it off and tell us where it all began for you. What enticed you to the world of maritime? It all started by coincidence, really. There wasn't much of planning. We have a history of sea trading as family, being, some of them being merchants at sea and work in the harbor, whether it was my father, uncle, and have a cousin who was master mariner. So sort of stayed in the family, but not so many. Yeah. But it goes back into 1985, month of June, July, when we finished high school. And uh, it's quite uh, normal at that time. You know, you think of, okay, what I'm going to do next. And so we were pursuing any opportunities are there. And I had been accepted for working in the refinery and be as an operator there and also uh, to get a scholarship to go and study for somewhere in the States in the UK. But then there was also an advertisement in the newspaper, the local gazette uh, by Kuwait oil tanker company uh, that they are openings for scholarship program for uh, master mariners and chief engineer mariners programs. And when I applied, I was invited for the interview and I was accepted. And then who made the choice whether you want to be an engineer or a master? I was asked the question and I asked, I said, I, I want to be an engineer. So education was a key part for you in the early days, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, and was that widely encouraged? And what's your thoughts on how important that is? You're talking now in the 80s, yeah. So I'm a member of a family. We are total number 10 brothers and sisters. So four sisters and six brothers, and they all postgraduates, and they all have, at that time, some of them in the universities and some of them already studies abroad, whether some of them in the States and different places. It's a natural tendency that you follow the trend at the time, and that's basically what was the motivation? Go and study, go get your degree, go and get something, you know, don't stay where you are. You're still young. You have a lot of opportunities out there, but also the state of Kuwait naturally at that time and started these scholarship programs as early as the sixties. So you could imagine at that time we had generations who have graduated, whether it's from Europe, UK, or the states and they were having good jobs, good future ahead of them. And they were a good moral example because there was a lot of job opportunities then. And job opportunities, they always tell you, what qualification do you have? Where were you educated? And English language was, you know, is very important. And that's the drive. We needed to pursue education, get your qualification. But then obviously I went into the marine side and the way it goes. 
Then the scholarship was by Kuwait or Tanker Company, which is, uh, this is 35 years ago. They were between mines. They only accepted four people. Wow. And the reason they accepted only four people, because it's not a job of choice and not many people want to go and work at sea because that's basically your destiny. You're a seafarer. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to be far away and then, you know, you've got cultural issues and you've got other social issues. And who going to accept you as a husband if you're going to be a seafarer and you go away for a year and nobody sees you? You know, it, 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 that kind of... It, it's that was still the today, by the way. Yeah. Well, as that was, it is still... Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this was only four, and then we ended up going to the UK. So where are we going? Oh, we're going to South Townside College. South Townside College. Okay. Uh, where is that? It says, oh, it's, uh, it's, it's in a place north of England. And, um, you know, it's, it's a nice place. It's good. Yeah, okay. Right. Now you're talking about 85, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 So then, uh, then you know, you, the story goes on. You know, culture shock, and you know, you are in the, you know, you 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 land in Newcastle Airport, and then uh, you know, you're in the middle of Geordie uh, Land, and you know, uh, quite very humble, quite very different to Kuwait, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And not only that is, uh, you know, it's a lovely place, lovely people, and but the language was a barrier. Yeah, the culture. <laughs> What did he just say? <laughs> yeah. The Newcastle accent is quite strong, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, it's, uh, and and but you know, it takes a bit of time, and then you know, you somehow get used to it. So, uh, so trying to figure out what did this lecturer said, because he's trying to reach your inner mind to teach you. <laughs> About thermodynamics, for example, or general <laughs> studies, or about <laughs> so that that took some working. Yeah. But when it happened, oh, then it was fun. Finally but, yeah. clicked, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Do you think? Do you think that early experience of kind of studying somewhere different in a in a different culture? Do you think that helped prepare you for the kind of the breadth of culture that you experience as a mariner? Indeed, when you enter that journey. You learn to be dependent. You learn how to communicate. You learn how to stay in touch with people. You learn of how to ask the question. Mm-hmm. You know, you could ask the question, but are you asking the question correctly? And so on. And that has a lot of failures. This journey is not easy. So it's a very bumpy road. And then, you know, in between your, between your fears, and between your ability to understand and then your ability to pass, ability to convince the lecturer or the teacher that uh, I did get it. No, 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 sorry, I made a mistake. I didn't get that. Or, you know, if you may give me this exam again, or let me do a reset. There is a lot of learning in that exercise. And obviously you do face a lot of challenges. Yeah. How do you grow? Because Although it was challenging, but it was comfortable. It wasn't really much of a strong and extremely difficult. But when things did get difficult, that's where you start to grow. That's where you start to reach out, yeah? Mm -hmm. It's interesting, you know, you started off in a very 
I guess a very technical environment, a very detail and engineer or oriented environment. And I guess given where you are today at the, you know, the, the top of one of the leading oil tanker companies in the world, where was the change between that technical seafarer focus and the kind of the more management and strategy focus that I, you know, I assume you now have in abundance? Well, look at it this way. You are a cadet and then you are a fifth engineer. You know, when you finish your college studies and then you do have your license to now work as a seafarer, Mm. plus you start counting for your sea time to go for your higher studies, i.e. for class two and then class one. That's where the change started to happen. Before you had no responsibilities, but now when you joined in, you joined in as a fifth engineer rather than as a cadet. And then when you come in, they say, well, you know, when I was a cadet, first time I go on the ship, had very nice gloves, nice helmet, a fantastic white boiler suit, then walked into this engine room, me and a friend of mine at that time. And then uh, this uh, strange looking guy in the engine room and said, hello. And he said, yeah, I'm the second engineer. Who are you? So we are the new cadets. Welcome. What's your name? I said, Ali, what's your name? Khalid. Okay. I'm Jawid. Okay. You see those buckets? I said, yeah. You see those towels? Yeah. Take the bucket, take the towels. All right, come with me. And then we went with him. He walked into the engine room and they see this nice, beautiful, huge engine room with the engine in the middle of it. And then obviously there are the bilges. All right. See that ladder? Yeah. Go down. Okay. Start cleaning. You know, we are engineers. No. Yeah, I know. You will be an engineer, but for now you are a cleaner. You go and clean. So we were so bright and, you know, face beautifully white, clean and, uh, you know, nice boiler suit and that. And we did that for nine months. Wow. And then we became experts in what? How fast we can clean. Experts, where are the leaks? Experts in how much time it will take if you want to do cleaning. So basically you had a hands-on experience. Mm. When you became as a fifth engineer, so what was the responsibility of the fifth engineer? Well, very simple. Transfer of bunkers and cleaning the bilges and keeping, you know, those tanks soundings correctly, blah, 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 blah. So this is a sounding book, etc. So it's all accumulative because you're managing yourself then, not managing people. So when did it start to become more administrative? Ah, when you start to manage people. And when is that? You go through the ranks and you have to go through it quickly. But quickly, you cannot go too too fast. You need at least, you know, one rank to another, at least two to three trips or voyages, which is a one year, a one year year plus, Mm. taking into consideration the sea time plus the leave, and then you come back. Fifth engineer, fourth engineer, and then third engineer. You know, fourth engineer will be responsible for the purifiers, compressors, and then the third engineer will be responsible for the generators and the boilers. But when you become a second engineer, that's when you are responsible for the engine room and the whole team. That's when you started to write. Obviously, we do a lot of writing because when you are fourth or fifth, you do a lot of logging and writing and then good bookkeeping, etc. But it's not like when you are managing the whole team. And that's when you started to manage people, 
That's when you do evaluation of people. That's when you start to do planning. And that's when you start to do inventory control. And then, you know, at that time, still you are not 100% there with the cost mm-hmm. side. That's until you become, as a chief engineer, now this journey will take a minimum six to seven years, i.e. from the time you become a seafarer, i.e. after the cadetship program, yeah. until you're sailing as a, as a chief engineer or you're sailing as a captain. So you're talking about four years, maybe if you are on a fast track program, three years, whatever, but four years, six years, that's a total 10 years, whereby then you're taking a senior position of that vessel. Mm-hmm. And that time where you started to learn more about report writing, communications with the office, with the superintendents, as well as relationship with all the people from the external world of the ship, i.e. inspectors, port state, blah, blah, blah. And then that's very challenging. But that, it's very accumulative. And then it grows like that. Mm. You know, you have a, a nice piece of Hamarai door handle. It shapes you up. And then it depends again in that journey, it depends on your personal circumstances. And what do I mean by that? How did we lose A1 members of our team? Because their circumstances at home changed. And I will come into it later when I talk about COVID. People are there because their situation at home is good. So they stay on board the ship. And then, you know, you'd be sort of with all this negativity of being away and distant and everything, and then not being able to communicate. By the way, there was no internet at that time. Precisely, yeah. Yeah. Ship to shore communications uh, were a different world, right? Or non-existent yeah, and, uh, in a lot of scenarios. Or maybe you speak on the VHF with the shoreside agent and he puts you on the phone, you know, the, 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 he put the speaker on and he calls the number that you want. Yeah. And he put the phone like that. But guess what? Everybody else on the channel hears what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> no privacy you know, in that conversation. No, eh? no, 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 no. And especially if you are passing Las Balmas or, or because those, those, those were the radio stations, you know, like Europe side. Those are the radio stations which you were able to communicate cheaply. But then if you go through the Enmarsat, God forbid, it's another $15, you know, a minute, $15, $20, $15. It depends on, on what time that you're feeling bored and you need to make a call. And if you do make the call, that's it. Your salary is gone. Yeah. So then what do you do? <laughs> what a decision to have to make, eh? <laughs> yeah, but then that journey, everybody went through it, personally developed, technically Providing that their personal circumstances at home are sound and good. Yeah. Because you cannot stay in that atmosphere on that ship if you have a problem at home. That's why mental health, that's why this subject is so hot topic. And especially with this, what we are going through at the moment. Yeah. It can make or break someone, can't it? You know, men- mental health is, is, is vitally important to our, or, or good mental health, you know, healthy mental health. That's where, who is the team on board? And, you know, like in your life experience, uh, not much, you know, let's, let's say not on the ship, but let's say ashore, you have come across some fantastic characters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, 
Yeah. So even me, when I was, uh, you know, uh, myself or most of the people who may be watching this video later, they all through this experience, they have come through times where they, they have some nasty bunch of crowd or a fantastic bunch of crowd. And those have really made it different. What I mean, even at tough times, even when you have uh, uh, bad crowds or maybe you have a good crowd, uh, that makes some kind of, you know, tough times, okay, okay, you you lasted until the, you know, 12th round, okay, fair enough, uh, but, but you're still standing, yeah, I'm still standing. And that's where adaptability, you know, you being able to adapt to the situation. And those seafarers, that's what they have with them. The level of the patients, the endurance is very high and their capability to adapt to the situation, whether it's a stormy day today, rainy day today, whether, you know, you're sleeping and then, you know, a blackout happens or, you know, some emergency situation is there. And then, you know, that's, that's where we always operate under. Nevertheless, there are people who cannot take it. There are people who, you know, sort of cannot really take this for too long. And that's where, sadly saying, I, I've seen a lot of friends, they left. They couldn't continue in this path. That's a good reality to understand, isn't it? it I think it, it, it's good to hear that from somebody who's, you know, got your experience. So what I said just now is from 1985, it's up to 2001. June 2001. That was this whole journey. And I was lucky and fortunate enough to stay strong uh, myself. And I have many other examples of my friends that are here with us in KOTC or outside KOTC. So we've been able to sort of remain resilient, learn and hold strong until 2001. 2001, June, that's when I was appointed as a technical superintendent for operating the ships. Right. And that, again, instead of you working on board the ship, now you're managing ships from the outside. And in 2001, I started there, and I did this for two and a half years. This two and a half years was very stressful. Why? Because it's uh, highly demanding operations. And also, you're working with kind of difficult, complicated, also good situations yeah mm -hmm. so with all that mix up you have to manage it and ensure that those group of vessels that you are managing are doing well and meeting all the targets and then you know as much as you can operating safely that's the most important thing and then you need also the team who are working on board the ships to be able to communicate with you you know you have to somehow a lot of spikes yeah you don't see it in a relationship it's like a crystal ball very rounded but how polished is that crystal ball well you need a magnifying glass isn't it and yeah. then you need to deep 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 and then what do you see oh you see spikes so yeah. they're not evident for the eye same on the feeling you know you follow your feeling but there is some kind of assertiveness and that is the benefit of the doubt you know this benefit of the doubt subject you give the benefit of the doubt, but for how long? How long you will stretch? If you have a, the slightest worry or concern, you have to go physically see it and check it. And then, you know, sort of keep polishing. And that's what I mean here is actually 
more to do with the with the relationship, more to do with how you maintain a healthy teamwork with your team, whether on board the ship or outside the board. So from 2001, I did that for two and a half years. And then we, this takes us into 2003, whereby uh, we started in KOTC to do this new building program and uh, for fleet renewal. And that was a fantastic opportunity there. And by the way, do you know what's the definition of, a, of an opportunity? You tell me. Nah, come on. <laughs> an opportunity. The definition yeah, well, of... Yeah, what's the definition? Yeah, yeah. Well, I... There are many. There are many. But multiple. let's say in your understanding, multiple, yeah. No one, no one wants to know my understanding, Ali. What's, what's, uh, how, how do you approach an opportunity? Only if you see it. Well, there you go. If you don't yeah. see it, it's not an opportunity. But if you see it, it's an opportunity. But then, are you able or not able? That's, that's something different, yeah? Yeah. Oh, there, there, there is a billion-dollar project just down the road here. Well, it's an excellent opportunity, but I don't have a billion dollars. Well, that's something different, right? Yeah. So that was an opportunity I could see where I can have technically, for my personal needs, I could learn more. Now imagine that time, so many years at sea, so many years in the office, and still pursuing learning, still pursuing education. You know, you work with your hand. That's why we are here today. Mm -hmm. When we heading an organization and when we are being chosen to do a job, it's not because of my name or who are my friends with. No, 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 no. This is whether you can do the job or you can't. You have something to say or you don't have anything to say. So how did we get here? Simple. Work. Yeah. Work. Hard and work, dedication. Work. <laughs> That's it. There is no other way. To perfect it, you have to be passionate about what you're doing, yeah. number one. You have to be creative and you have to work hard. It doesn't come easy. After two and a half years, in 2003, I was given the opportunity do you want to go for new building projects? I said, yes. Yeah. And when they interviewed the team of us, I was the only one who wanted to go there. Nobody wanted to leave the place where we are, that group, that fleet engineering, because that's where you do all the technical stuff. But new, fleet new building projects, nobody wanted to go there. But I went there. And then I was a superintendent, and we were busy in, in writing and writing and writing specifications and pursuing knowledge and information of how we can get this project right. And that was hard work. Yeah. And, you know, really 24 hours is not enough. In that respect, what happened here is 2004, 2005. So what we are, 2003, 2004, 2005, March, I became a general superintendent. So I was promoted. And then uh, May of 2005, I was asked to be a, a site manager in Korea for one of the projects that was under construction. And here was the best time of the career. Really? So lead new building projects and to be a site manager, to be in leading shipyard in the industry, to have that opportunity. The word thank you is not enough for those who have provided this opportunity. Yeah. But then, then doing that for three years and being involved and having an exposure over so much information, technology, 
project executions and managing time, people, money. That was great. And that's where, again, on a personal level, how do you develop? How do you reach where you are? What makes you to have something to say as we're having now? So who you are and what you, where you've been? Have you been there? Yeah. Have you seen the, the big five huge LNG project that was taking place in Korea? Yeah, I was there. I said, you know, I went on board the ship. I sat with the team. They're talking about dual fuel today, uh, LNG dual fuel projects. Back in 2005 with the Super IX and the engine manufacturers and people from the shipyard, we were talking at the very first project for modification and having, you know, uh, this LNG tank uh, fitted on board the VLCC. And, and it makes and it adds value on a personal level and also on an organization level that you have all this accumulative experience until today. So I did that for 2005, 6, 7. End of 2007, I came back to Kuwait because the project finished. At that time, there was an opportunity, which I, you know, it didn't happen. However, that's before the financial crisis, yeah? Yeah. And Shell LNG project, so they had at that time an expansion project. They were very close to uh, our uh, KBC uh, uh, parent company as being an oil major. And they had this experience exchange program. And I was offered an opportunity to go and work for Shell on an experience exchange program for a year or two. And guess where their office was? It was in Dubai. Uh-huh. Yeah, there so I, I said, yeah, let me go. They said, no, 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 you're not going. I said, what? No, 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 stay, stay. We have a plan for you. So okay. So then from all this time of being purely technical, yeah. i.e., you know, spanner 13, ring, yeah. open spanner, ratchet, you know, going down into every detail you can imagine about the specification of the lube oil or about the fuel oil or the liner being wearing, ovality and all that. Now, how about if you can manage the fleet personnel? What? Fleet personnel. Hmm. That's good. I'll go for that. And then I was appointed as manager fleet personnel, i.e. to manage the people who are working on board ships, mm-hmm. being a seafarer, also working with these people for so many years. And now I have to, you know, make their life better. So Korea was the marvelous time. Personnel, this was hell. <laughs> Why? Why was it hell? Why? When was it the last time you winged, you winged and cried for your boss? When? <laughs> when? Why? Why? Uh, why you've deducted this and why? why? Come on, come on. Tell the truth, Chris. It's, it's, you doing it, this or not? It's stressful, right? It's stressful. Having, I, I guess yeah. the, I guess this is the difference. You're, you're, you're now moving from dealing with uh, the technical problems of parts and, and engines and components to the problems of people. And that is a different league, I guess. Yeah, I'll give you a story, okay? A quick one for the sake of time. Right. So one ship, mm-hmm. they couldn't start the engine. They did everything. They did everything they can. Do this and do that. The engine will not start. Okay? So 
So they brought the engine manufacturer and the, the maker, the specialist. It will not work whatsoever. All right. They said, listen, we have this guy. Who's this guy? No, no, we have a guy for you. Guy? What this guy does? He's the expert. He knows how to start this engine. All right. Okay, good. Where is he? Oh, we have to bring him in. All right. Where from? Whatever country in Europe. Okay. So put him on first class. Bring him. And he comes, and there he walks. You know, everybody was waiting for this guy to come on board, and he came on board, and then he walked, and everybody was looking. It was this old guy, you know, have like a, a countryside, this hat, you yeah. know, I don't know what he call it. The flat piece. Yeah, with, yeah, the flat, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, where uh, he, he, he put the, 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 these uh, leftovers of the cigarettes up here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's Doesn't painted a vivid one. picture. Yeah, I get, I get what you mean. <laughs> right, and then with these glasses, and then you know he's walking like that, and then he had a very small bag, very small bag with him. Mm. So then he walking, 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 walking. So what's your problem? Says this engine is not starting. Yeah, I read about it. Okay. So then says okay, leave it for me. And then he started, you know, okay, start the engine. It starts, blah, blah, nothing happening, blah, 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 nothing happening. Okay. Then he starts to feel. And then he has this thing about listening, start, go here. And then he started to trace and follow the noise, which is in the engine. Until he reached into that place and he put his hand on it. He opened the bag. There was a very small, teeny hammer, the very nice, you know, how the Smith yeah. or the gold, gold, goldsmith, they, 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 you know, they, that hammer. And he says, wait, put your finger on that button. Okay. Everybody's watching. And he just took the hammer and then he said, bang, like that. Start. Champagne bottles, everybody was happy. He says, your problem is fixed. So he left, right? Goodness. Then one week later, the superintendent of the vessel, he gets a small envelope with a $100,000 invoice. Fame. So then the superintendent, he says, this guy did nothing. We saw it. No, we want a breakdown of that invoice. So they, they, you know, they ask them for a breakdown of the invoice a week after it comes, right? Mm. So two items. One is to trace the system. Two, where to hit. <laughs> so number one is $1,000. Number two, $99,000. And that's what I meant by this story is the competency of the people. Yeah. That is the most crucial part. And that's where it resides here. That's where the value is, is some is that experience. You can't replace that. You can't you can't, can't fast track that. experience, can you? So you've got garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. And then you have to maintain that level of what organ that organization, where does it want to be within the industry? Hmm. And that's where those people who make a difference. So you pay for a vessel. For example, you know, a $90 million, and then you can't pay for somebody a $500 and tell him come and sail the ship from point A to point. No, 
you will not get the right person to, and then you will endanger the, the, the whole lot. And then the company can be, you know, commercially, and there's a lot of those examples within the history, and then, you know, they just disappear. Yeah. And that I did for two years, late 2007 until end of 2009. And this was the most difficult job. You have an engine that's making noise, and then you just, you know, go and strip it. The bearing is damaged. Just change the the bearing, and it's operating perfectly. But if you have a whinging person on board the ship, (laughs) he will create that bad atmosphere, and you have to solve that problem ASAB. Mm. You know? I'm not saying get rid of him. I'm not saying get rid of him. No. Work with that problem. Don't Mm. leave it. Because if this ship sails from the port, the next 20 days, 25 days, 30 days, it's going to be a living hell. Yeah. Yeah. So therefore, in between, while I was manager's personnel, our CEO at that time came around and says, Ali, I had a dream. I said, okay. We have new building projects and it's a very tough time and I need you to manage it. I need you to go back to Korea and I need you to stay there as a site manager, build those ships, you know, to be in that position and for someone, you know, of like the highest authority within the company to come and say that and ask you, it gives you a sense of pride. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you start to think, okay, I, I really appreciate those people until today. Yeah. Because this is the reason why we are who we are today is because of how we stood strong and also because of people who helped us, yeah. people who created those opportunities for us. And that's where you need in organizations. Yeah. Yeah. You need to create your team and develop your team and, and you have to create opportunities And then you see how this value comes back into the organization. However, what happened here is after six months, I think sometime in mid 2008 or something, they gave me this extra group to run. I don't know, the value of the project was uh, almost a billion dollar. It was huge. It wasn't small. Yeah, it was big. It was really, really big. Okay, it will be good to go to Korea, but this is no, I have to create a new team. There was a lot of work, but I did that parallel. So I was running fleet personnel and I was running fleet new building projects. Wow. That was tough. And this so is around 2008, right? So have we, have, have we crashed Finance. yet? Have Lehman Brothers? Not yet, not no, yet, not, not yet. yet. Almost, almost, almost there, okay. almost there. So, so it was just before 2008 and then the crash happened. And then, uh, you know, the projects were signed already and there's no way out of it. And we just continued, you know, now you have to prepare the team. And uh, that's uh, so I said, you know, thank you very much. I cannot go to Korea. Mm. No, I would love to. It's not there. But no, I have to I have to build up a team. And the team was there. Basically, it's just that how you need to manage the team. And then it was fun for two years, but it was tough. The reason it was tough. The size, the magnitude of the work was very hard, as well as I was reporting to two bosses, this guy and this guy. Each one will have eight o'clock in the morning meeting. So who who do you say no to? Yeah, (laughs) that's a tough one. 
again, talk about the personal level. If you talk about how do you manage your time, if you talk about how you prepare yourself and technically and on a managerial level, how do you manage all this? There was failures all the way. <laughs> but there was also success all the way as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you learn from so, the failures, right? Yeah. And that continued until end of 2009. When end of 2009, then some uh, handsome gentleman was promoted and he took over. And he's still there. Poor guy. I feel sorry for him. (laughs) (laughs) It is tough. It is tough because, you know, with the digitalization, with the flow of information, you know, it's tough. With the social media, with people being continuously, the shipshore connectivity is live. So therefore, you've got continuous updates, you know? Yeah. And, you know, your phone will not stop. And you've got to stay on top of all of that, right? Yeah, 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 I need to manage that as yeah. well. But then in 2000, end of 2009, I was uh, solo for uh, three fleet new building projects. And I did that for 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012. And we built here so many ships, mm. four vessels, two vessels, and another nine. And, and you know, we were running, uh, how can I say, maybe four different shipyards at the same time. Wow. That was not easy, but it was great. You know, today when you're looking back and then you see what happened, how did we do it? Again, I would say, wasn't all hangadori. There was tough times, challenges until today. That's the business. This is how it is done. And then, you know, you just have to keep your sense of humor. How's your sense of humor, Chris? I like to think it's pretty good. I think it's, it's part of getting through tough times, isn't it? I think... If you don't have a sense of humor, I think 2020 is going to be a pretty big challenge for anyone, right? You have to concede. You do. You do. (laughs) There are some things you just can't change. You have to accept that and uh, change the things you can, right? So therefore, goes up to 2013, where I was really busy at the time. And then I was appointed as a deputy CEO in July 2013. And goes all the way until two years ago, February, where I became acting CEO in addition to the deputy CEO. Today, I'm uh, running two positions here in KOTC. So in the CEO position, as well as the deputy CEO fleet operations. But in 2013, it became more. So it is not only the fleet, no, but it was also KOTC also is responsible for the LBG network uh, supply network for Kuwait, Uh, for the state of Kuwait. Yeah. So that's a huge task by itself, but I have a very strong team who are very much high experience in this uh, area. So that makes life way much better. Yeah. Here we are 20, yeah, yeah. COVID-19, 2020, and we're still learning and their challenges is way much more than it used to be. So, Within this period, three things which we have learned and we continue to learn. Number one is adaptability, is the ability to adapt into these situations. We are very resilient, as always. Nevertheless, we never experienced this. Financial crisis, Gulf War, the uh, tanker attacks and Gulf Wars in the, in the 80s, and regional instability, and, 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 and. 
That's all, keep it aside. The COVID-19 is the one which we are seeing at the moment, at least myself on the personal level. This is going to change how business will run in the future. And three things that are there are that we are seeing that for any organization, any team, any individual who walk through that door and he says, I cannot do it. I said, go back. You can't do it. And the reason is, number one, his ability to adapt. If he's unable to adapt, sorry, you are wrong for the job. Hmm. Number two, adapt. Yes, be creative. And if you are not creative, you have to learn how to be creative. Yeah. Because creativity is a source from the need. There is a need today for you, the need for you today to be creative. You have no other choice. Number three, of course, is hard work. People have to have. Nevertheless, and what's happening with this, what I'm seeing, I think we're going to lose a lot of people during this period, not from COVID-19, but you're going to lose a lot of people because of the stress. We are in COVID fatigue at this phase. People have been working very close to the red line for a very long time. So we are now from February until now. Now, if you talk ship or you talk about shore, there will be an instability as far as a human resource. There will be a change that will come across a lot of the people. And all I'm saying to them, be patient. Take care of yourself. However, why I mean that there will be some effect on these people already happening, not some effect, but it's a big effect. It's because their circumstances back home have changed. Right. This is the most dangerous part, meaning whether he is married or not married, not married, he has a family, he has a father, he has a mother, he's got a cousin. You know, people come so far and work on board ships is because they want to make better life for them as an individual and for their family to support. But what if the family are not there no more? Mm. So why, why do I have to do all of this? I can go and find, and that kind of a change, yeah? And those four people who have families, married, have kids, etc., they've lost some loved ones. Mm. And they had a reason to come here and work and do and pursue, blah, blah, blah. And this is the kind of circumstances change for those individuals, those people. Unfortunately, and I don't like to see it, and I don't want to see it, but we might start losing people because of those circumstances, yeah? In Italy, there was a touristic destination, very well known, small town, and it's known for its old people. Hmm. And they all died. So what kind of a destination now people as a tourist will go for? Very sad story. Hmm. So what they will go for is that, they, oh, Mr. Anthony used to be here and, uh, you know, Marco used to be here and it doesn't work. Therefore, then something else will come in the future. And what do I see in countries that will happen is a social instability. Because this, you know, systems are not so resilient in countries with this lockdown, especially in the UK. Yeah. I feel sad. I mean, Liverpool, look what they're doing. Nationwide, checking, you know, to lock those who are sick only, not everybody. Mm. Why? Because they need the system to stay alive. And staying alive means also healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Again, coming back into a more important uh, subject is, is the, as, as a seafarer today, uh, and also as an individual working in an organization, 
responsible organization respects the international uh, uh, regulation and also it set targets. So this sustainable shipping for a sustainable future or a planet, that's the theme of the IMO. And this de decarbonization policy and also uh, zero emission, i.e. in 2100, I was in Edibek the other day and uh, we had a, a fantastic session where we were talking about this. And then, you know, those are uh, uh, very tough targets at a very tough time. Yeah. But we have to achieve it and we have to maintain the course and we have to abide by the regulation and the rules. Mm -hmm. So this is this is something which now requires nations to come together and ensure that there is enough funding. And because you are living a financial crisis at the moment, there isn't really much funding into this uh, research and development. Yeah. You know, for us to learn and for us to create and for us to, you know, develop what we have in order for us to achieve the future targets. And I give you an, an end up with this. You know, if, if you have a VLCC carrying 2 million barrels, that VLCC, in order for it to do a 16 knots, you need something like a 40,000 horsepower engine. That 40,000 horsepower will almost be burning almost 100 tons of fuel oil per day, which will emit 350 molecular tons of CO2 as a greenhouse gas. Now, the idea that in, in 2100 is that you will have same ship will emit zero greenhouse gas, CO2. Yeah. How are you going to do that? So if we have an engine, burns 100 tons a day, 40,000 horsepower. So the alternative is to bring 40,000 horses, put it in that engine room and pedal away, right? But then imagine you have to feed all these horses and the gas that will come from <laughs> those horses as a, as, a, as a methane will be a higher depleter than the you know, greenhouse gas. <laughs> the irony. But again, there isn't technology today that will replace that engine. And that's the challenge. And I guess for anyone listening to this that is an aspiring maritime professional, that's the challenge that they need to accept. That's the next chapter that they will be instrumental in, uh, in creating, I'm sure. Focus on the people, yeah, the people and the people, because they're the one who'll make it or break it. Yeah, it's in their hands. That feels like a uh, optimistic but daunting challenge to perhaps end our discussion on. But uh, listen, Ali, it's been uh, fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much. It's such a, an inspiring career journey, and I think proves that hard work, dedication, and passion is what you need to succeed in this business. I need to share with you a picture. Okay. I can put it on the screen. We don't grow when things are easy. We grow when we face challenges. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Sea Trade Maritime podcast. You've been listening to Ali Shahab, acting CEO of QA Oil Tanker Company, talking me through his extensive career and sharing his advice on the attitudes and mindsets required to succeed in this business of maritime. Don't forget, if you like this podcast, you can listen to more in the Masterclass series during Sea Trade Maritime Middle East Virtual. 
You can also find a whole host of additional on-demand podcasts, webinars and white papers at ctrade-maritime.com. So please do take a look and sign up to our free news and information newsletters. We hope you've enjoyed listening and we'll see you soon.